ইনশাআল্লাহ topic uh, that we'll be discussing is abstain from harmful food and uh, much much more and uh, dr imran kika as you know he's uh, someone who is very current and also when it comes to politics alhamdulillah doing a uh, sterling work dr imran kika assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and tell me how you doing this beautiful evening uh, doctor alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh alhamdulillah bi shafaat and very well greetings and assalamu alaikum to the listeners I'm sitting in the dark. Uh, I do have a light. Uh, you know, the guy that switches the lights on and off, literally, uh, is always on time. So, yeah, our friend, the good old darkness, is with us again. Yeah, Jazakallah, Doc. And, uh, you know, uh, one thing uh, that we appreciate is uh, that you are ready. Uh, you know what? Uh, you gave us your word. You're on the move. And, uh, inshallah, you know, uh, you made the time. And I uh, hope and pray that we have a... brilliant uh, broadcast and uh, Tobela I think on your end uh, Tobela you should be muting and uh, listening to Dr and I so you know it won't be interfering with our uh, connections inshallah yes sir uh, doctor you know when we look at uh, the d- different types of uh, uh, you know dietary laws uh, that different types of uh, religion have but uh, we in the house of islam are so blessed uh, doctor that we have uh, perhaps the finest uh, dietary law that comes uh, as a, a revelation in the noble quran and uh, then uh, you know we further take it uh, with our nabi muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam you know adding to that but before we get to the dietary laws uh, doctor and we going to get no to- topic uh, proper many things have been happening in uh, you know in and around us and uh, perhaps you know you, when you talk to the schools and uh, you visit them so often you've uh, visited the principals we have noticed schools being torched uh, students getting out of control and you know we uh, in recent times we spoke about uh, teachers being abused and so forth but uh, then uh, there's also the issue of a student uh, was it in the grace down school uh, that uh, he was uh, suspended uh, because of keeping a uh, sunnah length beard perhaps uh, you can add on uh, some of the challenges uh, that are facing uh, you know uh, the uh, community that are facing especially the muslim community and uh, perhaps you can shed some light on even some other issues but let's focus on uh, this uh, muslim lad uh, doctor ji brother shahad uh, you've touched on so many things to start our show with um something just comes to mind now um and it's a hadith of nabi akram sallallahu alaihi wasallam in which he says la darara wa la dirara you know the hadith goes on but uh, to start with it says do not cause harm or return harm so as a principle whatever we do whether it is in our food whether it is in our work Uh, in in any of our activities we must never be amongst those who deliberately and intentionally cause harm to anybody or return harm that is not justified you know in terms of what allah taala has provided for us as justice so you know if somebody comes and slaps me then i mustn't take out a gun and shoot him so that kind of justice and and that brings an incident to mind before i get to the great town lad you spoke about schools being torched i just received a video literally a few minutes before the show where earlier today in a durban school a principal confiscated a cell phone of a learner this learner a grade 10 learner went home came back with petrol poured it over the principal's car and set it alight so you know that, that is when this uh, hadith of nabi akram sallallahu alaihi wasallam came to mind these are the kinds of things that are happening in our schools and equally so it was in another school also in west durban where uh, through a search and seizure operation 400 cell phones were found on learners it was confiscated and because they couldn't keep it on the school premises the police took it away to keep it safely the learners of course then planned to get together and they began torching classrooms in the school 
from such things. So that is why it came to mind that, you know, we mustn't cause harm and return harm. Uh, I thought I should just mention those. Coming to the Greytown lad, he's a 17-year-old boy. I didn't speak to him personally, Brother Shavad, but I managed to speak to his father. I also spoke to his sister. Uh, this boy wants to keep his sunnah length beard. He wants to keep a beard. And the school has issued him with various warnings and recently suspended him for seven days and told him that he needs to come back in seven days with a letter to say that he will not grow his beard and also with the beard shaven off. So during the COVID time, he was able to hide his beard. He put a mask over it, uh, he tucked it in, and he was able to keep it hidden from the school. But of course, now with the passing of COVID, and no masks, he couldn't hide it anymore. And so they began this process. I'm told that uh, during the Ramadan months, uh, learners were allowed to keep the beard and then were asked to shave it afterwards. This I heard from the spokesperson of the department, Mozi Mashlambi, when he was giving an interview earlier today on one of the radio stations. And so uh, when the matter was raised with me uh, today, I realized that about three weeks ago, two and a half, three weeks ago, somebody had given me a call while I was in Cape Town to highlight a similar incident. In that incident, it involved two boys. And I said to them, please send me the details of these youngsters, which schools they are in, their contact numbers and their parents' contact numbers so that we can get to the bottom of what's happening. The reality is this, Brother Shafat, uh, and this is an opinion uh, that we still need to test. So when these incidents all came together today, I sent a message to the MEC, a voice note to her today, to explain the severity and sensitivity of the issue. A few days ago, when the, an article appeared online somewhere, it sent an article just simply stating that it's a sensitive matter and that she must look at it. And she said she will. But, uh, you know, as our job goes, it's quite busy sometimes and some things um, slip the mind. So today I reminded her and I sent her a significant explanation of what it might be in the sunnah. But if we go beyond that into ensuring that this youngster will be able to keep his beard. We must realize that in South Africa, Brother Shafat, uh, our constitution has granted us a significant amount of freedom. And this freedom includes the freedom of religion. And these freedoms that are granted in the Bill of Rights and in our constitution and the development of this freedom through Chapter 9 institution, court cases and various laws, ensures that we are able to keep a beard if we want, we are able to wear the hijab if we want, we're able to wear a kurta if we want in the workspace where I am, for example, in the legislature, I have my beard, I wear my kurta, and, you know, we, we carry on with life. We are able to open our masajid, we are able to give the avan, we are open, able to open our Islamic schools, we are able to practice our deen relatively freely, with the exception of a few things, of course. So these favors that are granted... Well, I shouldn't put it that way. Actually, that is the wrong thing to say. Absolutely wrong thing to say. I think the words are coming out jumbled from my mind. These are not favors. These are rights granted by the Constitution. So no government is granting us a favor. For as long as the Constitution of the Republic remains as it is and unchanged in terms of the Bill of Rights, then no government that comes or takes office will be able to take any of these rights away from us as they stand. So we have an institution, a Chapter 9 institution, that not many people know about. It's called the CRL, uh, the Commission for Religious and Cultural and Linguistic Rights. Um, and I believe that the issue of this youngster can be tested there. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that the department is saying that there is a code of conduct in the school and that he must comply with the code of conduct. I have not seen that code of conduct yet, but his sister assured me that uh, she will email it to me uh, later today. I haven't checked my emails. I was on the road for four hours today. I only got home a little earlier. So 
she said she will send it to me and I'd like to study it. The important thing here to note is that codes of conduct, like any other document or law that we make in our republic, needs to meet constitutional muster. So if this code of conduct is against our constitutional right, then the constitutional right will take preference over the code of conduct. And we saw this in the South African National Defense Force, where one of the Muslim females wanted to wear a hijab. And when the military did not allow this, uh, a process followed, in which case the constitution and the law prevailed, and she was allowed to wear it. And I have no doubt that if this young man's issue has to be escalated to that extent, then the same thing will happen. But when I heard about this incident, it was like deja vu, Brother Shafat, because uh, I'm, I'm not a very young man now, but when my beard started growing all those many years ago, I was in the exact same predicament as this young man. Uh, by the father of Allah, I've never shaved, shaved my beard, and I don't think I will. Uh, so from the time the hair started sprouting on my face to now, uh, well, it's so probably much of it has fallen off, but a razor blade has not touched those part of the face um, that are prohibited in our Sharia from shaving. So I understand exactly where this young man is coming from. And may Allah grant him goodness for wanting to make amal not only on the sunnah, but ensuring that he will put up a fight for his right to uphold this great sunnah of Nabi Karim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And also it is a sunnah of all the Anbiya So I understand his fight. In my case, it was during the apartheid era. Uh, at that time, I had uh, gone with my father uh, to speak to some of the elders of the town, uh, you know, our Newcastle Muslim community as an organization, some brothers there. Uh, one of those brothers, interestingly, is uh, Dr. Ibrahim Chohan from Newcastle, well-known personality, not only in our town, but in the medical circles like the IMA and so on, Dr. Ibrahim Chohan. Allah give him khair and give him a long life. He came with me to the school. We engaged with the officials and they said to me that I can keep my beard. Similarly, uh, when I insisted that I want to wear a topi to school, I had the same thing happen. Initially, there was reluctance, but they accommodated it. So here too, we could have an engagement with the school, but what I've noticed from the media reports today and having engaged with the family is I don't think that that's going to go too far. I don't think any polite engagement will win the day. But I have briefed the MEC and, uh, you know, I hope she understands uh, the sensitivity of the issue, the constitutional rights of the learner. And, you know, in our province, Brother Shafat, not only that incident that I'm speaking about, um, you know, of the South African National Defense Force, we have seen many incidents where learners want to keep their hair in a certain way, and they are allowed to do that. We have seen in our province a young girl who was a Sangoma. I say was, and I'll come to the reason why I said was. She wanted to wear her traditional attire. It was a simple cloth that she wanted to keep over her shoulder, over her head, and around her neck. And when she was prevented from doing this, it deteriorated her mental health to such an extent that she took her own life. I went to an exam center last year during the assessment and oversight of the matric examinations. There we found another youngster who was in matric writing the examinations, who is a Sangoma, and who wanted to use snuff as part of uh, her ritual. And she wanted to use it during the examination. And the, the department and the school working together made the exception. So here we have a situation where uh, the school and the department are both being a little bit inflexible, but I'm sure with some diplomacy we'll be able to resolve it. And if we are not able to resolve it at that level, then certainly we'll be exploring other measures to ensure that this youngster, inshallah, by the father of Allah Ta'ala, and his greatness, inshallah, he will, this youngster will be able to keep his beard. So that is the situation with that at the moment. And over the last two days, uh, ending today, so yesterday and today, I was uh, deployed as part of a multi-party oversight uh, team 
to the King Tretuayo district, which is uh, including Richards Bay and surrounding areas, Mtunzini, Ngandla, and those areas. And like that, there were teams that went to all of the districts, education districts. There are 12 of them in the province, all of them uh, in, in KwaZulu-Natal, to visit schools. And the findings were you know, quite shocking. Uh, some of the schools we visited were those that we visited in January, and the listeners were listening to me then. Not long after that, we would have briefed them about the situation in the schools, but also uh, we did follow-ups today, and not much has changed, unfortunately. Very little has been done, and everything reverts to the unavailability of funding, and I think we know why there isn't funding. Uh, there are some things that are quite obvious, and we don't have to state them. So what is the way forward? The way forward is that it looks even a little bit more bleak, unfortunately, because in the year, financial year 23-24, that means the financial year that will be end, sorry, that will begin on the 1st of April next year, we'll see an 11 billion rand cut in the KwaZulu-Natal education budget. So if everything is strained right now, it will be worse then. We found vacancy rates, for example, in some district units, up to 60%. In one district, one of my colleagues sent us a report of a 67% vacancy rate in, in, in certain parts of the district. Now, how do you deliver a service if you don't have the people to deliver the service? We have an increasing population. We have a younger, unemployed population that needs to form part of a capable and ethical state and more importantly, a caring state. How do you do all of this when we're not getting education right? And definitely we're not getting it right. So we're seeing like the young man whose rights are being trampled to one end and the lack of funding for reasons we already know. Uh, the listeners will know, I don't have to spell it out, but if I have to, then you know, corruption forms a massive part of the drainage and loss of funds in the department and absolutely no accountability for it. So that is the summary of where we stand with some of these issues, Brother Shafat. Uh, doctor, very eloquent indeed, and Zakallah uh, uh, for that. Uh, but you know, a few questions here, or some uh, thoughts that ran through my mind, and one of them being is uh, this. Um, Aggression from uh, learners. Uh, why this aggression? I mean, in one school where they, uh, you know, they uh, requested to the principal that they wanted to have uh, to celebrate the this, this spring festival or something like that, and when the principal uh, refused, uh, they trashed the school, uh, even even burnt uh, the the school. And then uh, there was the other situation where the police came and they confiscated, I think, over three hundred cell phones, and there they burned the school again. And you know, we know about uh, the. Uh, education crisis where they had burnt uh, university buildings and the libraries and so forth. But uh, this culture of burning, and especially amongst, uh, you know, sadly amongst our African learners, why is uh, this culture so prevalent? What is it uh, that, uh, you know, uh, makes them uh, do such things? Even uh, when uh, there's no service uh, delivery, it means, uh, you know, burning tires, uh, digging up, uh, up the road and uh, so forth. What happens? How do we address these issues? Uh, I, I mean, uh, if, if you look around you, uh, it's it's, it's uh, so prevalent, uh, uh, Dr. Imran Kika. Brother Shavad, I think if I give you a solution, I'd probably win the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, so, so, so that is one thing. Um, I think when we look at protests, people are getting fed up of the situation around us. They're getting fed up because there is no service delivery. We're getting fed up because there are endless promises to deliver the services, and the services are not being delivered. Uh, there is um, rampant looting of the state coffers, and that is what is resulting in the lack of service delivery. We heard of the incident at a hospital in Gauteng where for an ordinary bucket that you and I would carry water in. They're paying 10,000 rands for a bucket. We heard of incidents where a hospital bought skinny jeans. We still can't figure out why they bought skinny jeans. We heard of an incident this morning where a kitchen was built in a school for 400,000 rands. And if you look at it, it is nothing more than a little shack. So these are all the kinds of things that make people upset. 
the right to protest is enshrined in our constitution, as is our, as are many other rights. So we have a right to protest, but there's absolutely no need for us to protest in a manner that destroys those services intended for our own good. Because if we do that, then it affects our livelihoods. It affects the manner in which services are delivered going forward, and it also delays service delivery. So the approach to these service deliveries or to end these service deliveries uh, protests is a simple thing. We need to get rid of the government that is there, that is making these promises and not delivering. We need to get rid of the government uh, that is presiding over the provinces and, and, and the national government that are stealing the funds. We need to get rid of the government that is uh, curbing the freedoms of people to do certain things and uh, and keeping them in a state of poverty. So we have a government, for example, that takes pride in the fact that there are millions, 17 million, 20 million, 24 million people that earn 350 rand or some grant or the other, some stipend from the state or the other. So we need to end this. And it is these kinds of things that uh, create or lead to these protests. Uh, you know, I, I read a saying in a book somewhere uh, that says that poverty is the child of revolution. So, you know, keeping people in a state of poverty because you're not creating an, en an enabling environment to get jobs, then, you know, you're not going to find an end to this and you're going to find a continuous deterioration into what is going to be a totally failed state. So aggression arises out of all of this. This aggression that we see arises out of this state of desperation that people find them in. And this is my view. I don't think it is the only view. I think there may be many other causes. But when it comes to education, Brother Shafat, I always say that we have this triad of good quality education, and that's good leadership on the one hand, and on the other hand, we have sound infrastructure, which we don't have in our schools. And the third very, very important thing to mention here is parental involvement. So what we are seeing in our schools is actually a microcosm of what is happening in societies. So we have everything from gangs that are operating outside of the schools, whose fights end up in school where the rivals meet up because they're in the same class or in the same environment or meet up on the playing grounds. We have um, all of these kinds of situations and incidents that lead to these kinds of, I don't know, horrible aggression, stomach-churning type of aggression and incidents that we see. So what we want to see is greater parental involvement. Uh, you know, I, on a lighter note this morning, you know, I was, I was visiting uh, one of the schools this morning and uh, I received a message from my children's school and it tells me, uh, that your children were late for school this morning. Uh, is there anything we can do to assist you to make sure that your children who are on time? And I was going to say, maybe you can come and pick them up from home. But of course, that that is not the solution. Uh, the solution is that, you know, there must be greater parental involvement. We as parents need to create, take greater responsibility for what our children are doing. So those uh, things that, for example, you mentioned the incident of the cell phones. Uh, you know, that that is something for parents to, to pay attention to. They know that cell phones are not allowed in schools. So what are they doing? They're allowing their children to have those cell phones. They're giving them to access to all the information that those cell phones can access. Some of it good, a lot of it good, some of it actually bad. And then, uh, you know, they're allowing also the children to take it to school. So that shouldn't be allowed in the first place. So prevention is better than cure, I think. And uh, we always speak about that, whether it is whether we are talking about health, but it applies to everything else also. So that is the reality of the situation we find ourselves in. And I think parents need to take responsibility. If the home environment is not a good environment, then you're going to see that same mentality playing out both on the streets and in our schools. Absolutely, Doctor. And, you know, well, you know, Allah bless you for keeping us and giving us uh, such a, a comprehensive report. And, you know, that's a pleasure of having you on air and that you keep us up to speed. And, you know, that anecdote which states uh, good education 
is a cause for refined disposition. MashaAllah, listening to you, you can see that you have both your dini and you have your uh, circular education, but you have, uh, you know, your refined disposition comes out uh, brilliantly on air. But uh, this uh, refined disposition, I mean, you notice, uh, uh, has, I mean, people can go to universities, they can go to, uh, you know, different types of institutes, and especially in our country, uh, there's no refinement in in in, uh, in in schooling institutes anymore, or you know the so-called academic uh, institutes. It uh, seems uh, uh, there is a major problem. Uh, is this uh, throughout the world, or is it only a South African problem, uh, Doctor Imran Kika? I I, I don't uh, I don't think particularly it's a South African problem. We we see this kind of uh, behavior in many parts of the world. Uh, you will remember Brother Shafat. Uh, that I had the opportunity to live in, in Pakistan for a number of years, a uh, very poor country as well. And and you see these kinds of things taking to the street even there, even in the institutions. Um, you know, students are young and the blood is warm and uh, the minds are active. And uh, the young people, as you and I will know, uh, from our young days, we thought, we had all the solutions for all the problems in the world. And when nobody listened to us, then, well, uh, you know, from a Chinese medicine point of view, the yin and yang is there. The, the yang <laughs> means heat, you know, we got warmed up and we we, we got uh, active, you know. And uh, it's that kind of activism that needs to be uh, properly channeled and, and, and properly guided and properly uh, executed, you know. That, that reminds me of another hadith, you know, um, about being a Muslim, a good Muslim. And, and, and it reminds us that al-Muslimu man salim al-Muslimu nabilisanihi wa yadi. A Muslim is one who, uh, from whose tongue, lisani wa yadi, another Muslim is saved, you know. Um, so, you know, we, we need to guard these things. We need to guard our tongue. We need to guard our hands, meaning... Uh, we shouldn't be causing harm to anybody with both these things. And, uh, you know, if we keep on the sunnah of, of being good human beings, um, eating halal and tayyiban, then inshallah we will see greater good. Basically do good amal, ask for forgiveness from Allah Ta'ala constantly and incessantly uh, because we're always doing something wrong or the other. We are not angels. And Allah Ta'ala will give us ajar and khair. And if the ummah begins to correct its actions, and if the ummah begins to eat halal and tayyiban, and if the ummah um, avoids harming uh, with the hand and tongue, then nobody will be able to touch us in goodness and, and in making sure that uh, we have a world where we don't have all of these problems. That yeah, absolutely. Gee, doctor, and also, you know, I'm thinking about uh, these uh, taverns and uh, uh, substance abuse and alcoholism. Uh, you know, all these things uh, have come to the fore. And the amazing part, even uh, teenager pregnancy, uh, there has been an explosion in this country. And, uh, you know, all these things have come to the fore. Alcoholism, I think, is is, is shocking because of the, the age, I believe, as young as 9, 10-year and 11-year-old are, uh, you know, drinking alcohol. Uh, the preg uh, pregnancy rates, even uh, that uh, that age group, is at a very high rate. Also, uh, why is this so, uh, doctor? And uh, uh, it's quite shocking that there are so many young females. Uh, they say that uh, they don't even know who the fathers are of these kids. Uh, uh, can you fill us in there, doctor? So I was listening to the SG, not the Secretary General of the ANC, but the, S the Statistician General uh, the other night, and um, he gave some shocking statistics. I don't remember the exact numbers, but I remember the, in the age groups of 11 and then 12 and then between 14 and 17, the numbers of pregnancies as young as girls who were 11 years old who went to home affairs to register other children as the parents themselves. This is what he said. You know, so the numbers were, you know, in the 11-year-old group, uh, there were several hundred. In the 12-year-old group, there were several thousand. And, you know, in the next age group, it exploded into the millions. So, uh, you know, in the, into the hundreds of thousands. So this is there. Coincidentally, you know, you mentioned 
drug abuse. We were visiting a school yesterday. We visited that school not too long ago. And this is one of the definite causes of societal problems um, where there is aggression as a result of uh, consuming these substances that alter the state of the mind. We were sitting there. We had just raised the issue of the South African Police Service were there as well. And we just raised the issue of how is the situation of drug abuse in the school, we had asked the principal. And as we were saying this and asking this question, Wallahi, right at that time, I got the strong whiff of Dhaka going through the air. And I stopped the meeting and I said to them, can you smell that? This is, you know, how, how is it that I'm just asking this question now? And here we are uh, sitting in the school, in the staff room, and getting the strong smell of Dhaka. Why didn't we go out? I said to the policeman, why didn't you go out? And look right now and see who the culprit is. And and he left. And, and by the time he came back, he said, no, uh, you know, whoever it was is gone. And, and, and it was probably a quick smoke. But that was in the middle of, of, of class time. It was between the movement of learners, between class periods, that they were using these mind-altering substances. You touched on the topic of teenage pregnancy. I gave you uh, some of the things that the SG had mentioned. And yes, indeed, we've even seen in our schools, um, because the Department of Health records these statistics of young mothers that come there, we have found that even 10-year-olds are giving birth in our hospitals in our province of KwaZulu-Natal. And I'm sure it's happening all over. Uh, we today, part of that teenage pregnancy, we found that a hot spot in our province is the area of Ngandla where teachers have romantic relationships with learners for whatever reason, whether it is to give them better marks, whether it is to be this sugar daddy syndrome that exists, where they give them money for these special favors uh, that they call it special favors that they are giving to the uh, teachers. And the girls are getting pregnant from the teachers, let alone uh, you know, the high rates of unemployment that are causing, um, you know, for the post-school leavers, uh, high rates of pregnancy, because there's nothing for them to do. They are unemployed and uh, they are, there's pastime and there's leisure time which they pass. We were in a rural area not too long ago. There's a little town here called Utrecht. Many people know it as Utrecht or Emmerlangeni, which is its new name. There was a high rate of teenage pregnancy there. We asked the uh, in Kosi, in, in, in that area, what the cause was. And he said, well, provide learner transport and you'll see that the problem will go away. So, you know, I said to him, but how is learner transport going to solve the problem? He says the learners walk for hours on end together. What do you expect? Are they not going to stop and, and, and uh, you know, enjoy each other's company a little bit? You know, I'm sorry I'm saying it this way. But he said provide learner transport so that they don't spend that much of time together. You know, it's, it's, he says these things are natural. They're going to happen. So these are, imagine something like that, uh, that is, he, he thought contributed to uh, teenage pregnancy in the area. We visited another school not too long ago. We visited over a two-year period, and the first year when we visited it, we found in that school that in one year, there were 40 pregnancies, 40, 40. And I said to the health MEC at that time, I said to him, the intervention that you need to make in the school is not to ask how we're going to solve the problem. You have to urgently open a maternity ward here. You know, you've got to open a labor ward here because that, that is what's happening here. There's, there's 40 learners in. So through interventions of the religious communities, intervention by uh, the department, intervention by NGOs that all came together and, you know, began counseling, working with the parents, working with the learners. When we went back a year later, it had reduced to two. So, again, coming back to goodness, coming back to our morals and ethics, coming back to parental involvement. This will save people, inshallah. And this is what our dean teaches us. And if we do those things and we spread those things and we give dawah towards these things, then these are the solutions. Our dean is complete, provide the solutions. Our responsibility, whether it is a job that I occupy as a member of the provincial legislature where I'm there to serve people, or whether it is at your home uh, where you are interacting with a person that came to ask you for something at your door. You know, uh, you and I are, are, are great uh, fans of Sheikh Ahmed Dida. Uh, 
And he said to me one day when I was sitting with him, he said, you know, you get these uh, Jehovah's Witnesses that come and knock at your door. So I asked him, you know, how do we deal with this phenomenon? And he said, they are, they are doing you a favor. They are coming to your door. The least you can do is you can tell them that my success and your success lies in the obeying of the commands of Allah Ta'ala in the way shown to us by Nabi Karim Sallallahu Give them dawah. The least you can do before you tell them to leave if you've got nothing else to do. And then he gave me many more advices. So again, coming back to that parental involvement, spending time with your children, debriefing your children. Like we visited schools for the last couple of days. Uh, today, after the meetings of uh, and visiting the schools, we had a debriefing. We went over what was happening. Debrief your children. See what happened in the day. What were they up to? What kind of interactions did they have in the day? Who did they meet? Who did they speak? What kind of information they accessed? You know, so, you know, that access to information, I can I can give you some very interesting examples from the Western Cape that we visited recently, but I'll, I'll, I'll shelve that for a moment because it's slightly off the topic and it's about good governance there uh, through provision of good, solid information and Wi-Fi. It's another story. But we have, uh, we have all of these societal problems and ills that are going on for which the solution lies in our deen. So our responsibility as good Muslims is to give dawah. And very importantly, to show good akhlaq, to show people goodness, to show people a smiling face, not to harm people. That's what I started with. And inshallah, if we do those things, then we'll see, you know, this aggression going away. We'll see... Um, we won't see the harm that we will see. We won't see people stealing money. We won't see people causing the problems and societal problems. Won't, we won't see people taking drugs. We won't see teenage pregnancies because they will be higher. That's a hadith of Nabi Karim something to that effect. That higher, that modesty brings nothing but good. So we need to practice these things in our life, teach it to our children, and ensure, inshallah, that this fruit is uh, through our work. And inshallah, if we all adopt this approach, then inshallah, we will see the change. And and it applies universally. No matter what problem we look at, the solutions are there. It is just that we ourselves need to be the ones that bring the change in our lives. So we need to do good, and we also need to eat what is good, and that is halal, inshallah. Well, uh, doc- and if we make mistakes, may Allah Ta'ala forgive us. Turn to Allah Ta'ala and seek forgiveness. Yeah, I tell you, now you're leading me to uh, yeah, our topic proper this evening, uh, which is abstaining from uh, toxic and harmful foods. And, you know, uh, I'd like to share a story with you. When I was a young lad, you know, people talk about almonds and badam and all. I used to like them a lot and, uh, you know, eat it quite often. But then, you know, you get this uh, uh, these uh, cherry pits and this, uh, this uh, peaches pits. So when I used to break it open, I used to find that like in the center, there was like that, like a badam thing. And you know what? It was in the thing. I used to bite it all the time. But uh, subsequently, I, I noticed that, that these things were very uh, high in uh, prussic acid, also known as cyanide, which is poisonous. I didn't know that. And, you know, I should just enjoy it. People say, hey, very nice. Eat it, eat it. But uh, thank Allah, it didn't affect me. But uh, what happens when you, you know, you start imbibing uh, even I believe even apple seeds, uh, these things have, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the uh, poison in them and so forth. But I was told that you, when you eat the apple, you must eat it with the seeds and so forth. Uh, you know, what is your your take on that, uh, doctor? So the knee-jerk reaction is that if you eat the apple with the seeds in it, nothing will happen to you. Uh, yes, uh, it does contain a little bit of this and that, cyanide, for example. Uh, cyanide, you and I know, will kill you. It's a poison. But it's in such small quantities and doses that it's not going to cause you harm. But if you sit and collect uh, you know, a whole lot of, of these uh, apple seeds or peach kernels and you sit and take them without any guidance and proper dosage, anything for that matter, you're going to cause great harm to yourself. You know, I always think of the... Um, the saying by this guy, Hippocrates, who said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. You know, it rhymes. Mm. So, you know, food is medicine and and medicine can be food. So, 
the difference between them, I asked one of my professors, what is the difference then between food and medicine? And he said, medicine is toxic and food is not. So you can eat 10 bananas, you, you, you won't die. But sometimes you look at people, some people will relate to this. They have uh, their chronic medications with them. They'll see some of their tablets, for example, the dosage is only 5 milligrams. Now, has anybody thought how little is 5 milligrams? You know, how small a quantity is 5 milligrams? Like a dot on a page. You know, just a little bit more than that. So, medicine in small quantities can be very toxic, meaning it can have a very profound effect on the body. And it is because of the effect that it has on the body, because it is it can cause harm in small doses, it can also be beneficial. So we know that uh, some things in large quantities can be harmful and some things in small quantities. Cyanide, for example, um, can be very toxic. Peach kernels that you mentioned, a lot of people now are looking for them all over the place. They think it's a remedy for cancer. Yes, it can be taken for certain kinds of cancers, but it needs to be taken safely prepared and in the proper way then it will be beneficial, but not for all kinds of cancer. Cancer, for example, has a very complex approach because you get cancers in different parts of the body. You get cancers uh, of different cells. You get cancers that behave differently. You get cancers that spread. You get cancers that don't spread. You get all kinds of different cancers. So you can't just say, oh, let us eat peach kernels and it will call, cure all cancer or I've got this kind of cancer and I must take that remedy because it cured somebody else with something similar. You don't understand the nature. So that is why we say, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food interchangeably. But it, like how in deen we say, you know, to tread the part of deen, you know, you need to hold the hand of the sheikh and inshallah he will lead you correctly so that you don't go and do it on your own and end up causing more harm uh, to your akhirah. So similarly, in medicine also, you don't do things on your own. You go and seek professional advice and professional help. Um, certain foods are, of course, very healthy for you. And, uh, you know, in, in Chinese medicine, we have a specific discipline that is called shi lao, or food therapy. And, and they always say, you know, uh, to fully cure disease, we need to eat grains, we need to eat meat, we need to eat fruit, and we need to eat vegetables. Because... All of these things. So you'll get people that follow particular diets. You know, they'll they'll say, uh, "Look, I'm only going to eat uh, fruit, vegetables, and grains. I'll be a vegetarian. I won't eat meat." You get other people who eat large quantities of meat, very little of everything else. So all of these things end up causing imbalances in the body. So we need to eat balanced diets. We need to eat food that is halal and toyiban, because food that is haram, we know that there is no benefit in it. In fact, it will be harmful to the body. And, um, of course, uh, good, wholesome food. And that is where this, this, you know, this principle of to fully cure disease, this principle of Shilao dietotherapy comes in to fully cure eat disease, eat grains, eat meat, eat fruit, eat vegetables. Meaning, be balanced in the way you eat your food. So, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, you talk about Shilao uh yeah, and the food therapy, and uh, then uh, yeah, I remember chila. I don't know if you had that chila, <laughs> a lovely, <laughs> lovely like a sweet pancake with nice hot chai. Yeah, doc, yeah, did yeah. you ever try that? I have not tried it, but I'm sure when I meet you, we will have some. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we, we would. I, I, let me let me pronounce that again for Shilao, but Shilao, uh, uh, yes, Shilao. So, but yeah, inshallah, we'll we'll try it when we meet over a cup of chai, brother Shafat. I think that visit is also long. Imminent, you be imminent. Yeah, but imminent, inshallah. Inshallah. Well, uh, doc, you know, so, uh, we 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 talk about unhealthy food, uh, and people will you know keep on telling us sugar. Sugar is a complete source of empty calories. As it ha it has only a hundred percent of energy and no other nutrient, and that energy is like a, a carbonated drink. It just fizzes out very quickly. You know, sugar is uh, now you're getting artificial uh, artificial uh, sweeteners, and uh, these are even uh, cancer causing agents. Talk to us about that, doctor. So, so if you do a little bit of reading about these things, they will tell you that 
uh, sugar as it is uh, and some of the sweetness uh, in the chemical forms that they are available, not all of them, because you do get uh, natural sweetness like stevia, for example, in xylitol, which uh, stevia, for example, is made from a leaf of a plant. Not a lot of people like the taste because sometimes it has a slightly bitter aftertaste. And... and um, uh, xylitol and I'm sitting in my uh, study at home and if I look towards my left I'm looking at a 25 kilo bag of uh, of the substance lying here and the reason is that I don't let my children eat any uh, sugar uh, so they will have xylitol or they will have honey as a sweetener um, of course they will cheat because there is some sugar in the house we do keep some uh, by the father of Allah Ta'ala we get some visitors sometime who might not like uh, stevia or might not like xylitol so there is always sugar in the house and um, so you know we'll give the option if I serve you a cup of tea I'm not going to force what I eat down your throat I will put the options there for you. I'll give you some honey and I'll tell you that there's some xylitol there and I'll tell you that that is the sugar. And you, you of course, you're my guest and you, you, you can make up your mind. But in my house, uh, we avoid sugar completely. And sugar, you know, people will tell you is a pro-inflammatory substance. And, you know, it, it's a well-established fact that chronic inflammation, and not only because of sugar, but because of our lifestyle, because of the foods we eat or don't eat, uh, because of uh, our habits, uh, we tend to develop uh, chronic inflammation. And chronic inflammation, as I just said now, it's a well-established fact that it can lead eventually uh, to cancer, not in all cases, but it can lead to all kinds of problems in the body and imbalances in the body. So one of the things we do when, when we consult with patients, I always, and you know my habit from your, from your previous shows, is I always tell patients to avoid sugary things and other pro-inflammatory foods like wheat and corn. Uh, so, I, I, you know, just to give you an anecdote, I met somebody after many years. I last met them in 2017, they reminded me. And it was at a conference somewhere, and they complained to me that they are asthmatic and that uh, they take up to 10, between 10 and 17 prednisone a day. They take an asthma pump. They need to nebulize. They need to end up in hospital on oxygen and nebulizing and intravenous steroids and all of that. And we had quite a long list of complaints at the time. And so I took a few, and, and, and this lady reminded me that I met her at that conference. I took about 15 or 20 minutes. I called her aside. And I gave her some diet advice now, about three weeks ago, after these many years, for about six years later. And she tells me, doctor, I didn't tell you what happened to me after you gave me this advice. I took it very seriously. I stopped eating those things that you told me to stop eating. I fasted the way that you told me to fast. I ate the things in abundance that you told me to eat. So one of the things I told her to eat a lot of was sorghum. Um, which which is anti-inflammatory if you do a little bit of study on it, and and so the long and short of it is it was dairy, it was sugar, it was wheat, it was corn, and a few other things I told her not to eat. She says within three months of stopping those foods, eating what I told her to eat, and doing what I asked her to do, she stopped taking any corticosteroids. Within six months, she was no longer in an asthma pump. She began losing weight. She lost 30 kilos of weight in this period of time. All her joint pains disappeared. Her chest is absolutely fine. Her psoriasis improved. All of those things happened without medication. It just happened because we gave her advice about food. It was simple as that. So imagine how much can happen just by putting the right things between your lips. And, you know, how many wrong things can happen by putting the wrong things between those lips, you know. And that reminds me of a saying of, uh, I think it was Imam Abu Hanifa that said, because the tongue is also between our lips. He said, you know, jirmuhu saghir wa jirmuhu kabir. You know, he said, uh, the size of it is small, but the crimes of it could be big or are big. So what we taste with the tongue and what we, not only the words we utter, 
but the tastes that we have. So we might have an affinity for something, but it might not be good for us. So we need to be very careful about what we put in our mouth and also what comes out of our mouth. So we need to look at that both ways. Tell you, doctor, you know, when uh, you are with me, time really flies. We have about uh, two minutes to go before we close up. Uh, perhaps uh, your parting words uh, this evening. We spoke about many things. Uh, we spoke about education. We spoke about the problems there. We spoke about uh, a few health matters. We spoke about good food. So I think in summary, uh, eat good food, eat healthy food, um, hold the hand of a pious person, uh, take the advice. They will lead us onto halal and tayyiban, not only for our akhirah, they will lead us um, in terms of also what we eat because many of our pious and elderly people, you know, they are healthy because they have studied what is in the sunnah to eat properly. They will be able to give us those advices. Take it from them. Take your chronic medication. Go for regular checkups. Uh, come to those of us who are in the alternate medicine fields or complementary medicine fields, whatever you want to call it. Come to us because... Our approach to disease, our approach to eating, our approach to lifestyle is very different from the Western paradigm. I've studied it, so I know it. So come and see us because we'll be able to put you onto that path and we'll be able to, inshallah, improve. Shifa eventually lies in Allah's hands. We don't give anybody shifa. We can't cure anybody. I saw a patient anecdotally the other day. He was paralyzed because of um, some medication that he took. He came to see me. I told him I've never seen a condition like this ever in my many years of practice. But I will treat what I see and I will ask Allah Ta'ala for guidance. Alhamdulillah, within a few days, the man was walking again. But it wasn't something that I did. I never saw a condition like that. I remember only reading it in the books. But Allah Ta'ala guided me. Allah Ta'ala put the shifa in my hand to treat him. It's not me who does. Allah Ta'ala does. We need to have this yaqeen. And we need to turn to Allah Ta'ala. We need to make constant tawbah. Allah Ta'ala will give us barakah in our life and in our livelihoods. And Allah Ta'ala will give us barakah in our health. And we need to impart goodness to our children so that all of these problems that we spoke about, inshallah, they won't be there. So these are the parting shots, Brother Shafat. And, uh, you know, I am a politician. So I will encourage people that the 2024 elections are around the corner. Please go and register to vote if you are not a registered voter. Jazakallah khaira, Dr. Imran Kika. Really a pleasure having you this evening. You have a blessed evening ahead. Allah bless you. And very shortly, we need you back on air. And we'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Allah ta'ala guide us Amin, Suma, Amin. Very shortly, we'll be going for the Isha Azan. And thereafter, pertinence are punctuated, we will have Sheikh Shoei Baida discussing the topic, abstain from futile speech. And Maulana Salim Karima will end the show off this evening at 10 with the dangers of nostalgia from the, yeah, it's uh, Lukalo. Yeah, nearly close up. But uh, it's time for us to go for the Isha Azan. And inshallah, we will continue after that.